0: overviewed the fact that chapters 8 and 9 form a two-chapter section that record 10 sample miracles that Jesus performed. From the very beginning of the book, if we back up even there, Matthew has been presenting Jesus as having all the credentials to be God's anointed king. Now these 10 miracles that we've noted, I trust you've noted in the margin even of your Bible, Uh, Demonstrate that Jesus has authority over physical sickness He has authority over the natural world Wind and waves obey him. He has authority over the spirit world of demons And he has authority over death itself And the authority Jesus displays over all of these realms is a witness That Jesus has authority over To forgive, or as we noted then, he has authority to dismiss man's sin debt in the presence of God. Physical sickness, natural catastrophes, death, all of these are the result of man's sin. But Jesus can not only dismiss your debt of sin and deliver from sin's rule and reign, but he can deliver from every effect of your sin as well. And the two-part call of these chapters, if you consider them as as one unit, again, demonstrating Jesus' authority over all these realms and over sin and all of its consequences. The two-part call of the message of these chapters is for us to believe in him and follow him. If you believe what the miracles are proclaiming about the identity and the authority of Jesus, then follow him with your entire life. That's the call of these two chapters. And when we come to our text this morning, that's exactly what one man says he's ready to do. Look at verse number 19. A certain scribe came. And said unto him, Master, I will, look at it, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And whithersoever, an old English way of saying, wherever. I mean, this man is professing that he will follow Jesus anywhere. This is a profession of just unreserved commitment. And when you hear that, how do you respond how do you how do you respond today when when you hear that someone has made that kind of commitment right when you hear maybe that 25 young people at a particular week of camp have given testimony of yielding their life to whatever the lord would have for them wherever it would be hey yeah, or maybe you Uh, You read the report of an evangelist and the evangelist, their team, say that this past week we we saw 10 surrender their life for full-time service. All right, or even more to the point, because we're talking about one man approaching Jesus, what would it be like even in our church if, you know, one young person just came and approached you and, and they wanted to tell you whether you're a friend a peer or you're an adult mentor and 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 they wanted to tell you that they have fully surrendered their life to the Lord to be used in whatever way he would see fit hey how do you respond to that and the fact is we're thrilled about that aren't we Uh, I mean we're thrilled for them we thank the Lord for his work of of grace in their lives And in many respects, I would just say ministerially, it's it's kind of common for us to regard that kind of testimony as like the pinnacle of of ministerial fruitfulness. I mean, to, to see God so work in someone's life that they would say, God, wherever, whatever, I will go wherever you want. That's how we respond. I think it's appropriate. But against that backdrop, the response of Jesus in this particular situation is really shocking. Because, again, verse 19, as we've just seen it, the guy says, I will follow you anywhere. And now look at verse 20. Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What kind of response is that? (laughs) I mean, Jesus... Jesus is basically saying to this to this fellow, you might want to rethink that profession. Because if you're really going to follow me, you might end up being deprived. I mean, you catch what he's saying here. You might end up being deprived of some provisions that even animals have. Right. Even a fox has a hole to call his own and a bird has a nest to call her own. And Jesus isn't saying that he spent every night under the stars with no friends to extend him hospitality and lodging and so on. But what, what he is communicating is that Jesus, can you think about this? This is kind of prime of life, right? This is 30, 31, 32, 33 years old. This is where he's at. Jesus is saying at this time of his life, he had no permanent residence to call his own. And that's something that even a typical animal has. Even a typical animal has a home and I don't have one. You might want to rethink, about, rethink that whole idea of following me. And brethren, we're even just faced right away then with what, what if following the Lord means that you end up deprived of aspects of life that we've just come to regard as, as normal, basic provisions. What if God were to call you to leave your homeland, as he did Abraham, and then said, I will show you where you're supposed to stop when you get there. And if we wonder what's going on in Genesis, Hebrews 11 tells us that's exactly what he did. By faith, Abraham went out, not knowing where he's going. But it's not just that. What if then, once you get there for the rest of your life, you, and then your son, and even your grandson, end up having no permanent dwelling, but they live in tents. Your family, your children, and your grandchildren live in tents all the rest of their days. Genesis and Hebrews, again, record that that was the case with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in our text, again, Jesus is responding to this profession of full surrender by saying, you better rethink that profession. You better consider what it might cost you. And specifically, what you might end up going without. If you really are going to follow me. And then without any further development in that scene, he moves on in verse 21 to record interaction with another professed disciple Notice verse 21, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And the word you want to highlight from that interaction is the word first. The the issue in this case is one of timing and by extension one of priority. Priority. He's, again, I'm, I'm actually ready to go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do, but let me just first take care of some family matters first. That's the idea. Another time, i got to do this first, and then I'll get, get to that. And, and when we read this, I, you know, our minds, there's some things that we would like to have in terms of information. Like, you had this man's dad already died? Um, and, and the funeral's about to take place in the next day or two? Um, was it was it maybe obvious that you know his health is declining and it, it's not gonna be long, it's only gonna be a matter of months? Was it the case that, you know, the dad's in the later years, but he's not really necessarily sick? It could be, you know, it could be three years, it could be five, could be ten until he passes. We, we don't really have the answers to that. And, and though we'd like to have them, again, the Lord didn't think that the details were necessary for us to get the point of emphasis. And we could add from other texts, and I, I think it's worth just a mention of at least. That meeting the needs of aging parents is honorable in the Lord's sight. Okay? Even here in Matthew chapter 15, I'm not going there, but, but Jesus went after the Pharisees who had come up with a very pious way of getting around financial support of their parents. And, and, um, and Jesus said, you, you talk about honoring me with your mouth, but your heart is really far from me. You guys are hypocrites to use me as an excuse to care for your parents. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul declared that if a man provides not for his own house, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, and that's in the context of of caring for older widows. It is an honorable activity to meet the needs of aging parents. There's other scripture that says that. But at the same time, it is also clear in this text that whatever the, the details of the interaction and the state of this man's dad that, that this man's profession of care for his dad was actually an unworthy rival to true discipleship of Jesus he's actually using his profession of care for his dad in a way that Jesus saw as an unworthy rival to true discipleship of him And you can look at verse 22 and how he responds. Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And that first usage of the term dead has to be figurative in a play on words because physically dead people can't do what? They don't bury anyone else, right? This has to be a reference then to who? Who? To those that are spiritually dead. Let, let the spiritually dead put family relationships ahead of following me. But if you are truly my disciple, you need to get your priorities right. And again, in this case, the delay. Well, Lord, I will, but just let me, let me take care of a few other things first. The delay is communicating that the priorities were out of order. And this is not the only place where Jesus explicitly challenged relationship priorities. Turn over to Luke chapter 14. There would be several, but this one seems to connect with where we are in Matthew as closely as any. Luke chapter 14 Uh, verse number twenty-five of Luke fourteen. J- just look, even right away, at who Jesus is addressing. I think it's. I think it might be different than what we tend to think. In in verse twenty-five of Luke fourteen, who did Jesus address? There went what? There went great multitudes. Then he's going to give. Uh, quite a challenge in terms of discipleship and but we tend to think the reason why i'm drawing attention to that is we tend to think that challenges like what we're looking at today are for those that have that are already believers they've taken multiple steps forward in their christian life now they now they've kind of come to a crossroads where they they need to take the next step kind of the pinnacle type of step where they say, Lord, whatever, wherever. And there's a challenge in in that for all of us at all time. But, But Jesus laid down these terms. is what I'm saying. Terms of discipleship. Jesus laid them down indiscriminately to crowds at large. And he didn't beat around the bush. Look at verse 25. There went out great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, And hate not his father and mother. And I I would just pause here. It's possible for somebody to say, you know, what's really happening here is Jesus is saying to, you know, a young man, there's a time where you got to stand on your own and and you got to make your own decisions and a time where you got to leave mom and dad. Okay. But it's not just mom and dad. Look at the rest of it. Hate not his father and mother and what? Wife? And children, brothers and sisters, some of you say, I can't wait to get away from them, but others are near and dear. Yea, and his own life also, he cannot, what? He cannot be my disciple. Now, this may well be set up by the fact that one man back in verse 20 actually used, you'd see what he says. Another said, I have married a, what? I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He's used his recent marriage as a reason why he can't follow the Lord's call. That may be what set that whole thing up. If we're to uh, continue on, and we're not this morning, but verse 27 and, and following right to the end of the chapter, that blunt talk continues. I'm having to stop here for both time's sake and to emphasize the connection back in Matthew chapter 5 with family he's talking about his dad and all that the fact is brethren there are going to be times where loyalty to Christ will call for actions that might seem to others like indifference or maybe even disloyalty to the ties of earthly families don't you even care about your mom and dad don't you care about how your wife feels about this how your husband feels about it and and no two family circumstances will be the same what it might call and in my life or my family might might end up looking very different in the details than than for you and it takes a great deal sensitivity It should involve a lot of time in the scripture considering all the relevant texts. Um, Much time in prayer. Counselors should be sought. But you just can't deny the fact that when it comes to true discipleship, it will involve various times and, and perhaps an entire direction in life that communicates our loyalty to Christ is unsurpassed by loyalty to any human relationship that one is first and by the grace of god it always will be first and there are some areas that are non-negotiable when it comes to first rate loyalty how, how does that work itself out and and First-rate loyalty to Christ means that I do confess Jesus as my Savior and Lord openly. Matthew chapter 10, you don't need to turn there. Verse 32 and 33 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. It means confess Jesus. It means that kind of confession in the New Testament will go on to, uh, the New Testament indicates, will go on to involve identification with Jesus in a local church, in a local expression of, of the body of Christ. Baptism, the entrance into that, faithful attendance, participation, Rather, these things aren't negotiable activities in the New Testament that you take or leave, depending on whether it's convenient. The consistent witness of the scripture is like what we find at the end of Acts chapter 2. They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and breaking bread, and prayers, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be safe. That's that's the consistent witness. If people have genuinely believed, right? This is the call. Believe in what the miracles reveal him to be. And follow. If someone has genuinely believed, the way they follow is they identify with Jesus (laughs) openly, At whatever cost. They do that by baptism and uniting together with a local church. And their lives are marked by giving the strength of their time to what goes on in that church. The apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. This is the center of their life. I heard a pastor tell of a missionary that he personally knew whose wife had come to Christ before him. And he at one, at one point forbid his wife to read the Bible. She got saved and he wasn't. And he forbid her to read the Bible. And she attempted to be as respectful, genuinely reverent, and gracious towards him as she knew to be and did not try to unnecessarily inflame him and be in his face. But she also knew it was a case where she needed to obey God rather than men. And she let her husband know she would have to do that. And she continued to spend time with the Lord in his word. And God used the testimony of that wife to reach her husband. And today, they've been decades in faithful missionary work. I know of parents who told children that they were shaming them and shaming their family and would be disinherited. In particular, if they actually went the step of getting baptized in that Baptist church. only to see that parent and the dad in particular come to Christ through the testimony of a faithful child who was willing to bear reproach. And not every testimony of this kind of faithfulness ends up with the positive, heartwarming turn of events like I'm describing. But I will add that I've also seen multiple cases where a husband or a wife compromise clear uh, weighty bible truth i'm not talking about something that while there could be bible principle for it it, it, it's not it's not weighty okay but i'm talking about clear weighty bible truth i've never seen a husband or wife that compromise that in order to keep a marriage together or a family together where any of those situations end up positively And I I could give you the illustrations at at length. Look, if, if kids can't see both parents live for the Lord in their home, then let them at least observe one that's willing to do it. One man told me, I could take you to the restaurant I was sitting in with him in the very booth I was sitting in with him, where he told me that if he cut off the unfiltered, absolute filth that was pouring into his home, he said his wife would leave him. She was a Sunday school teacher in our church when I got there. But he said if he cut it off, his wife would leave him, and he grew up in a broken home, and he wouldn't put his children through that. And I, I pled with this man to, to first of all not be short-sighted in his estimation of what God could do and God would do. But he wouldn't. And as you can guess, he just started to pull away. That entire situation became a progressive and unrelenting train wreck. And it is to this day. Kept the marriage together and blew the family to pieces. I don't mean to be just provocative, but probably sent the kids to hell. i could go on if i were to take a, a step out of and we're just pursuing the principle the call of the lord consider the cost consider what you might do without consider relationships if i take it out of the more personal and family matters to consider broader arena uh you know uh, of ministry cost of ministry following the lord when it might mean deprivation of comforts and relationships i'm i'm reminded that many of god's servants in the scripture as well as what we can see in church history but many of them have been called to a task where where it almost seemed like their primary role was to seal the fate and 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 seal the shame of those that god was going to judge for their rebellion Again, don't turn there now, because many of you know it often would be at like a missions conference, Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah gets a, a glimpse of the throne of God, right? With the angels around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of this glory. And, and Isaiah responded with a, with a humbled heart and ended up replying to the Lord's call. Here am I, Lord. What? Here am I, Lord, send me. And when he did, God said to Isaiah, all right, here's your commission. go and tell these people, keep on hearing and don't understand, keep on seeing, don't and do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull, make their ears heavy, make their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And Isaiah said, Okay, Lord, that's not an exciting first commission. But then he said, How long? How long? And the Lord said to Isaiah, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is forsaken, and the Lord removes the people far away. And it's not unique to Isaiah. Ezekiel. Chapter 2, Ezekiel said that God told him, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel who are a nation of rebels, and they have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. They're, they're impudent, they're stubborn, but I'm sending you to them to say, Thus saith the Lord. And he says, whether they hear or they forbear, and then he adds it again, for they are a rebellious house. Whether they hear or they forbear, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of their briars and their thorns and even scorpions. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be dismayed at their looks. Speak my words unto them whether they hear or they forbear. That's not what a missionary thinks they sign up for, right? They think their, their commission is to go and, and it's like all, they're just waiting desperately for somebody to come and, and they'll proclaim you as the great hero. In the midst of Ezekiel's ministry, God told him, that he was going to take away his beloved wife and that when she died he was not to participate in any of the traditional mourning activities for the loss of a loved one he was told not to attend the funeral of his own wife and it was to draw more attention to the preaching that these Jewish people were going to lose their beloved temple they were going to lose their city on account of their sin What if, again, truly following Jesus would involve being deprived of just basic comforts and conveniences of life? What what if following Jesus might end up severing some relationships? And what if even ministry the, the ministry that you engaged in ends up looking pretty unproductive? And I'm giving up this, and I've lost these relationships. And it doesn't even look like it's making a difference. Are you still prepared to say, I will follow you wherever you want me to go? And I will make following you the first priority. And again, brethren, the probing of Jesus about these, these very questions is, is an indication that responding in the affirmative, yes, even at cost, yes, I will. At, at, at the severing of relationship, yes, I will. The probing of Jesus is indicating that that is the only response that is a mark of true discipleship. J.C. Ryle Said it would be well for churches of Christ if these sayings of our Lord were more remembered than they are. That may be well feared that the lesson they contain is too often overlooked by ministers of the gospel. That thousands are admitted to full communion who are never warned to count the cost. Nothing he says has done more harm to Christianity than the practice of filling the ranks of Christ's army with what a volunteer who is willing to make a little profession and talk fluently of his experience. It has been painfully forgotten that numbers alone do not make strength. There may be great quantity of mere outward religion while there's little real grace. Let us keep back nothing from young professors and inquirers. Let us, en- enlist them. let us not enlist them under false pretenses. Let us tell them plainly there is a crown of glory at the end. But let us tell them no less plainly that there is a daily cross in the way. There is a crown of glory at the end. But there is a cross in the way. John Peyton and his wife set sail for the South Pacific Islands. They were known as the New Hebrides. It went in 1858. And um, about 200 years before, some missionaries had actually attempted to reach that region. But they were killed, and they were eaten by cannibals. The missionaries were and John Payton has declared his intention to take his bride and make another attempt and the decision did not come without criticism on, on one occasion before they were leaving and many of you have heard this but a, a respected elder in their church rebuked the couple and he actually said the cannibals, the cannibals you will be eaten by cannibals and John Payton knew him knew the man And he responded to him and he said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And that sounds incredible. I mean, we applaud that. But they were there three months when their baby was born. A baby boy. But a month later, John's wife died. And a few days later, that little boy died. At age 36 days. And he's left in a place of idolatry and superstition and witchcraft and savage violence. In a fight one day, seven men were killed. Their widows were strangled. They were all cooked and feasted on by the warriors and their friends. When the local chief became seriously ill, three women were sacrificed for his recovery and and his heart was filled with just horror and, and pity and he was really driven almost to despair and he actually writes in his journal at this time had I given up my much beloved work and my dear people in Glasgow he really in Glasgow Scotland he had started kind of an inner city ministry and it it really blossomed. He'd won multiple ones. The Lord started a church out of that. He said, have I given it up with so many delightful associations to consecrate myself to these degraded creatures? Was it possible to teach them right and wrong, to Christianize or even to civilize them? But he soon was reminded that he had not undertaken the work on his own account. That that he had at his disposal resources that were equal to the task. And he said, I was conscious that our dear Lord Jesus was near me, and that through him I was made strong for any assignment he had given or might give. And there were glorious conversions. I had some in my notes earlier. I, I took them out, put in another one, trying to think of our, our timing and the fit of the service and everything. And and I'd be glad to re- relate them, and I'm certain I will <laughs> at another time after I was rehearsing it again. But I ended up just taking them out completely. They are as precious as it gets. In that sense... They they seem to make it worth it, and it wouldn't be wrong to highlight them. But, brethren, there there are times for us to wrestle with. Just what 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 if there never, what if there was never something that sounded like a happy ending in this life? What if all you see on one side is the cost? What you'd likely go without, the relationships you'd likely lose, and maybe even the prospect of being completely unproductive, seemingly in the world's eyes and in our own eyes. What if it's just that? That's all it is on that side. But what's on the other side is evidence. That the one who calls you to believe and follow is the one who has all authority to deliver from all sin and all its consequences. What if it's just that? Will you, in the face of counting the costs, choose to follow the one you believe to be the only Savior and the King of kings and Lord of lords? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you, this morning, in the quietness of this time, consider your own profession? Do you profess to believe? Do you give testimony to following? Or does that even need to be really addressed? But then consider just the state of it. Has it been? Has it been a, a profession? that is boundaryed in by limitations you set. I'll go up to a certain point, but not if it means I have to go without this or not if it means severing that relationship. You put the boundaries there.